Please take your Bibles and turn with me to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read the first 18 verses of Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, you find uh, here, as the author of Hebrews does uh, quite often, he, uh, here in Hebrews 10, he's going to uh, quote a psalm. He's going to quote from Psalm chapter 40. And he's going to put those words into the mouth of Jesus. You see, it's all God's word. And even as he was writing, he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God's word is communicated to us uh, through it. And so, uh, out of honor and respect for God's word, I would ask you please to stand together with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 10, the first 18 verses. Beginning in verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers have been cleansed once for all uh, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O oh God. First, he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets, a, he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool, um, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where there have been, and where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Thus far, the reading of God's word, you may be seated. As we've been uh, studying the book of Hebrews, uh, it, it may be difficult at times for us to, to look at it and go, now how does this apply to my life? After all, we're dealing with first century, the author's writing first century Hebrew Christians who have been going, undergoing some persecution. They're about to undergo a lot more. And um, they converted to Christianity. 
And they're wondering, especially because of all these persecutions, if maybe God is punishing them because they did what was wrong. And they're thinking, maybe we ought to go back to our Judaism. And, um, and that's kind of difficult for us at times to, to see and to make application into our lives. I, I understand that. But it should be able to be applied to us every time we think that there's something more that we should do to please God, something that we, we have to do other than trust in Christ, then, uh, then we're doing what they're doing. We're saying we've got to do something a little more. Maybe it's even coming to church. We should come to church. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're going to get to that. That's in Hebrews chapter 10 as well. We're going to get to that in, in a few weeks. But uh, if, you're, if you're coming to think, I'm doing this, and if I'm faithful in doing this, God's going to be pleased with me, you're missing the whole point of it. I, I hope you'll see that as we go through this passage. The author of Hebrews has been writing to us about the superiority of Christ. You're looking to other things. You're, you're looking maybe to go back to your Judaism. But I want you to know Christ is superior to all of that. We've seen Christ as a superior revelation, the final revelation of God. We've seen Christ superior to all the angels. We've seen Christ superior to Moses. Christ as the superior high priest. Christ as the superior mediator of a superior covenant. And uh, through Jesus, we see that we have a proper relationship with God, not through our own works or through any of that old stuff. We don't look to the old covenant and all the priests and uh, all their, their, their uh, different uh, ceremonial laws, but we do often look to ourselves. Uh, to do things that make us pleasing to God. And we miss the fact that Jesus is the one who has done that. Externals didn't work for the Jewish Christians, and they don't work for us either. Our proper standing before God and His acceptance of us, His pleasure with us, is not because of our works, but it's because of the work of Christ. Hebrews shows us Christ's superior work. And this morning, I want us to see Christ's superior work from chapter 10. Uh, he, he tells us about Christ as a superior sacrifice. Christ's work is being that which actually works for us. And I hope this morning you'll see that. You see in your bulletin, five points. Uh, I think in seminary they teach us to have three points, but we're going to have five this morning. Uh, and, and there's some comparison about Christ's sacrifice and the Old Testament sacrifices. And I want us to see in this how Christ is superior for us. How Christ is the one who actually deals with our sins and makes a way for us to come into the presence of God. So the first thing you notice we find in, in verse 1 it is the fact that uh, Christ is superior having to do with the shadow versus the reality. We see in verse 1, the law is only a shadow. Now, when he's talking about the law here, I think he's talking about the particularly, uh, he's mostly thinking about the ceremonial law with all their sacrifices and their high priests and all those different things they did. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. What is a shadow? You ever, you ever do shadow figures and make a, make a shadow dog? I don't know how you do that. Someone, yes, you know. 
Yeah. We're not scared of that, right? But if you're out walking on the road and some big, we, we could ask some of our male people here, uh, about, you know, a big dog comes barking at you. That's a different thing, right, than the shadow figure. Um, I, I told you this, but bear with me. You know, some of you may not remember it, and I think it's important to remember this. Uh, several years ago, I was uh, fishing in, at the Little Red River in Arkansas. And uh, the sun was behind my back, and the fog was coming up off of the, off of the river. You know, it's it one of those beautiful scenes, you know, with the fog's coming off. And I had my hat on. I have an Outback-type hat that I wear sometimes when I'm fishing. I have it on. And with the sun behind my back, it was casting a shadow into the fog. And because of that hat, my shadow in the fog, you see, my, my you know, silhouette, just normal except for the top, and it was a halo. I had a halo about my head. And I was thinking, the people in the church really need to see this. They, they need to see me this way with a halo around my head. But that was a shadow, right? That was a shadow, not the reality. Reality is somewhat different. If, if you followed me around or asked my wife, you, you would know, right? Reality is somewhat different. The Old Testament, with all of the, the laws and the ceremonial uh, uh, sacrifices and everything, the author says that's a shadow. That's not a reality. The shadow of something that was real to come, but the real reality comes in Christ. And so all of this that they were looking to as this is what makes me right with God in the Old Testament, he's saying, no, that's, you're not supposed to see it that way. These sacrifices of, of bulls and goats, they're not what's making you right with God. Rather, Christ is. They were pointing us forward to Christ. They were the shadow of Christ, if you will. Now, this is the way we should understand the Old Testament. This is the way all the New Testament authors understand it. This is the way Jesus told the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is how you understand the Old Testament. Because on the road to Emmaus, you know, he takes his disciples and he begins with Moses. That's the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He takes, he goes from Moses through all the prophets. He goes through all the Old Testament and shows how everything that happened to him had to happen because the Old Testament foretold it. It was a shadow. It was looking forward to Christ. This is the way that we should understand the Old Testament. And all of those things that came before in the ceremonial law, they were simply a shadow pointing us forward to Christ. Now, the Jews had become quite comfortable with these shadows, with the earthly priest and the earthly sanctuary and the ritual sacrifices and all the things that went along with that. They become comfortable with that and said, these things I can see, these things I can feel, these things I can touch. But the author of Hebrews says, no, that's not the reality. That's only pointing forward to the reality. When Christ comes, well, that's the reality. And there's no longer any need to be following in the shadows. So we're going to see, as he's already told us in certain places, he's going to tell us again in Hebrews, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the reality. He's not the, not the shadow. He's the reality. 
And so we see that he is superior because he is the reality of those things which, which look forward to him in the Old Testament. Secondly, we see his superior sacrifice not only because those were shadows looking forward to the reality, but we see that uh, these, these things had to be done over and over again many times versus the sacrifice of Christ that only happened once. We see it in verses 1 through 3 again. Second part of verse 1, For this reason it can never by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near in worship. Uh, every year on the Day of Atonement, the, the uh, high priest of the Old Testament, back in the shadows, had to take a sacrifice, make himself clean with the blood of the sacrifice. Then he could go into the most holy place and, make, uh, and, and take the blood of those sacrifices for the people. But it had to go on year after year. It had to be repeated. It was never finished. It was never done. And so he goes on, verse 2. If it could, uh, when he goes on, verse 2, uh, these, these sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year could not make perfect those who draw near in worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? It makes sense, right? Once it's done, and if it's perfect and it's good and it cleanses you for all time, you don't have to do it again. But he said, for, uh, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and they would have no longer felt guilt for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. <clears throat> some of you may be diabetic in here. I, I know some of you are. And some, uh, sometimes diabetics have to take insulin for their diabetes. Does, does insulin cure you? It doesn't. What does it do? Well, it, it kind of temporarily takes care of things. But every day you take that insulin out, that medicine, and you have to take it again. And it's a reminder that you have something that's not cured. Every day you take that insulin, you're saying, this diabetes, I still have it. It's still here. How much different would it be if you could just take a single pill, you pop that pill, and you're cured? No more diabetes. Would that be, would that be great? Or what? You see, that insulin you take every day reminds you, reminds you that, that you're not cured. But that pill that would cure it, well, you're done, right? You're, you're cured once for all. The author of Hebrews is saying that the, the sacrifice of Christ did that once for all. The Old Testament sacrifice is being repeated year after year, and they're coming to, to, to on the Day of Atonement to offer their sacrifices. They're saying, it's not done. I'm not finished. I'm not cured. It has to be repeated. But now with the blood of Christ, it doesn't have to be repeated. We see in, in verses in 11 and 12, uh, he comes back to a theme that he's had a, uh, a couple of times already in Hebrews. He says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. What's he saying? Well, you, you know that in the most holy place, in the holy place in the temple and tabernacle, there were no chairs. There were no chairs. The, why? Well, the, the priest could never sit down. 
He was never done with his duties. He was always having to continuously bring sacrifices. But Jesus, once he brought his sacrifice into the true, heavenly, holy of holies, into the presence of God, what does he do? He sits down. Why can he sit down? He's done. He has made the sacrifice. He's made the sacrifice once for all that takes away all of our sins. I've said it last week or the week before, I don't remember. When we come to the Lord's table, this is not re-sacrificing Christ. His sacrifice been once for all. This is a meal where we remember that sacrifice that he has done for us. His work is done. It doesn't have to be repeated. Indeed, it cannot be repeated. It will not be repeated. We do not ever have to go back to the bloods of bulls and goats. It will never happen. We can't repeat it. We don't do penance to make us right with God. Christ's sacrifice has done that. When we die, we don't go to purgatory to have those other sins purged out of us. Christ has done that for us once for all. It doesn't have to be repeated. Well, we go on. Not only uh, do we see Christ's superior sacrifice and that uh, uh, the Old Testament sacrifice is a shadow. His was the reality. We, don't, we also see that it... Uh, the Old Testament, many times, his was only once, but once for all. <clears throat> Thirdly, I want you to see that his sacrifice was different than theirs because he did it because he was willing to do it, where for them it was always a duty to bring those sacrifices. Look with me in verses 5 through 10. <clears throat> Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Um, the, the, the yearly sacrifice to God was, was required, but it was, it was a duty that they had to do for God. It was not what pleased God. He, he goes on and mentioned, mentions this, uh, quoting again from, um, from Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, burn up with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you're not pleased. You remember when Samuel tried to offer offerings on his own and, and, uh, and not Samuel, when Saul tried to offer sacrifices on his own, and Samuel came to him and says, you know what, God's not pleased with those sacrifices. He requires obedience rather than sacrifice. We see it, in a sense, in Micah as well, uh, where the people come and say, God, you're not satisfied. What do you want with us, 10,000 bulls? Do you want us to sacrifice our own children to you? And he says, no. He has shown you, man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, he requires obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. And Jesus comes, and his sacrifice is not a duty. He comes willingly to bring it to God. In Matthew chapter 26, on the, on the night Jesus is betrayed, you know, he goes and he's, and he's praying. And as he's praying, he knows what's before him. And um, we, we often think about the physical issues that are there. Um, 
and, and think that Jesus is looking at that and going, I, I just don't want to face that. And so he prays, Lord, if it's possible, let this pass. But that wasn't it at all. That wasn't it at all. Jesus, who was the only sinless human being, had come, and he was about to know the sins of the world poured on him. Jesus, one who knew only the pleasure of the Father, was about to know the wrath of God poured out on him for sins. Something uniquely different. And so how does Jesus deal with it? In Matthew 26, he says, Father, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. I will do what is willing, what you're willing, that's because I want to do it to please you. Everything I do, Lord, I want to do to be pleasing to you. When Christ comes and, and he becomes the sacrifice, he brings it willingly to God. It is not something that he does because it's just a duty, but it, he brings it willingly to God. We go on, we see that now <clears throat> our obedience to God is not just something that's a duty when, uh, when the, the, the sacrifice of Christ is applied to us. Now we see verse 16, um, this is the covenant I will make with them. Uh, after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. It's a different sort of thing now with our relationship to God. Here's his law. Do we say, I've got to do this? I've got to do this. If I don't do this, I might not make it into heaven. No, we say we're making it into heaven because of the work of Christ. Now, there's a whole different relationship we have to the law. We're not doing it to earn God's pleasure. We're not doing it to seek rewards that we'll get for it. We're not doing it to avoid punishment from God, but we're doing it because we see the love that God has given to us. We say, what amazing grace. What amazing grace. It's that love now that motivates us to do the will of God in the only way it really can be done. When you think about the law, Jesus says the greatest law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. If you're doing his will, if you're doing the law, if you're doing it to say, I'm not going to kill this person who just cut me off in traffic. I'm not going to kill them because God's word tells me not to. And if I kill them, it will, um, you know, God will be mad at me. It's a whole different thing. whole different reason we don't do it now. whole different reason. Uh, I was... Uh, my dad's birthday is tomorrow, so I went Friday over to Little Rock to, to see him and uh, was riding with my sister um, to, from her house to see him. And um, she was telling me about, because some of the traffic was crazy, and she said uh, a couple of days before she had had to pull out in front of somebody. And really, they didn't even have to put on their brakes or anything, but they, they drove by, honked at her, rolled down the window and communicated with her. And... Uh, and she said, gave me an opportunity to pray for them. What? My, my uh, own, own lack of sanctification would have to lay on my horn and start yelling back at them, but uh, probably, especially in a town that's not Gainesville. Um, they, they wouldn't know me there, right? 
But when Christ's love so grips our hearts, it changes our motivation. Now it's not, oh, I can't respond to them that way because, well, because I'm a Christian. I really want to. Now it's like, God's given me the opportunity to look at that person and know that they need to be prayed for. So she did it. Well, you know, now with the sacrifice of Christ, we come to him and our obedience to him is uh, because we're willing to do it. Not because we have to do it any longer. Okay, so we see that uh, Christ's superior sacrifice because it uh, is a reality, not the shadow, uh, that it was done once over many times, that it was his will to do it and not simply out of duty. Um, fourthly, we see uh, some of the results of it. Uh, some of the results of it we find in verses 17 and 18. Uh, then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And uh, where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Um, and before, where um, just the blood of bulls and goats, they're not getting rid of the sin. And so we still felt in bondage to the sin. We couldn't, couldn't get away from it. But now, now with Christ's sacrifice, true freedom comes. The blood of bulls and goats could not release us from our bondage. It couldn't even pay for sins. You see, it had to be a human sacrifice. It had to be human blood. Let's say the, uh, the blood bank comes by in their, in their roving blood bank and they park in our parking lot. And they want blood from the pastor of this church, right? And I'm not wanting that needle stuck in my arm, so I go to the house before I go to the blood bank and I get Bella, our Labrador, and bring her over and say, just take her blood. It'll be fine. I'll let her blood be for me. <laughs> no, no, that's not going to work. When I, and, and if I ever have to go to the hospital and get a transfusion, I'm not going to say, go, go get my Labrador and get her blood. That won't work, will it? I mean, they're great. Dogs, but they're not humans. They're not the moral creatures that God gave the law to and said, if you do this, you're going to die. They're not moral creatures. We used to have a, a Labrador retriever named Savannah. And before we moved to Florida, we had a, a big Rottweiler uh, named Max. And every night, Max would, would have to have his bones. And, and he would get right in front of you if you hadn't given it to him when it was time. And he would bark, and it would rattle the windows, right? Well, we'd give him his bone, and he enjoyed them tremendously. And give Savannah one, and she would finish hers. And then she would go to the window and start barking. And Max would get up to investigate what was there. And she'd go around behind him and pick up his bone. Little thief, you know? And I didn't, I didn't go to her and then say, you know what? The sixth commandment, Savannah, you shall not steal. You're breaking the command. I didn't do that. She's a thief. She was also a liar, right? She told Max there was something outside he needed to look at. We don't condemn them for that because they're not moral creatures. And therefore, their blood can't atone for our sins. But when Christ came and sacrificed his blood, well, his blood 
was perfect. We have, we have seen, in, remember, we see it in verse 10. Uh, we have been made uh, holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. His blood, the, the blood of a, of a human being paid for us. And because of that, God no longer remembers our sin. It's been paid for through the, through the blood of Christ. Um, I don't have to earn my freedom. It's been given to me from Christ. He has set me free from the bondage of that sin. Finally, uh, we see in verse 1 the fact that uh, these, this shadow, this, these old uh, ceremonial laws and the rituals that were, were with them could never make perfect those who draw near in worship. Those who came to him could not come to him perfect because they, they weren't made perfect. Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Maybe you said that to some other people when they want to call you a hypocrite. <laughs> the world often sees us that way, and so we would want to say we're not perfect, just forgiven. But I want you to know, when in, in God's sight, in God's presence, we're told we have been made perfect. Look with me in verse 14. <clears throat> because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. There is a sense in which we're not perfect yet. Paul says it in Romans 7, you know, that sin that I, I don't want to do, that's what I seem to do, and so we still have that. But, and so the world might see us as hypocrites, but God sees us. God doesn't see us that way. He sees us in the righteousness of Christ. We've been told that we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks at us, that's how he sees us. How good is the righteousness of Christ? It's perfect. So when God sees us, he sees us in that perfection, not in our imperfection, not in the imperfection that the old sacrifices, they couldn't do away with that. But Christ's sacrifice brings us perfect into the presence of God. Christ's sacrifice made perfect those who are being made holy. So in God's sight, in God's presence, we're perfect in the, in the righteousness of Christ. We know that there's issues that we still have, that we're still sinning some, but that perfect, that righteousness of Christ, he says, has uh, made us perfect forever, and then those who are being made holy. So we're perfect in a sense in the fact that legally standing before God, he's clothed us with Christ's righteousness, but in our daily lives, he is making us to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ day after day. We are being made holy. And every day we should be looking more and more like Christ. Well, we see... Uh, in this passage, the superiority of Christ's sacrifice, those were shadows, the realities come in Christ. Those had to be done many times, Christ only once. Those were out of duty, but Christ came doing it by his will. Those were only left us in bondage, but Christ's work gives us freedom. And we've seen that those works never perfected those who brought them, but the work of Christ does bring us perfect before God. Bill Cosby used to tell a story about his parents when, uh, when he had children, and his parents would come over to his house to see the grandchildren. 
So they would immediately come in the door and say, where's that grandson, that good grandson of mine? His grandfather has a $5 bill for him. He said, these are not the same people I grew up with. These are old people cramming for finals. They're trying to do things good enough now to get them into heaven. But you know, it will never happen that way. This morning, if you're, if you're trying to cram for, for finals to, to make it good, to make yourself good enough to where, to where God will let you into heaven, I got, I got news for you. That's not how you get there. Christ has already done it. He is the one whose sacrifice makes us perfect for all time. Steve Brown uh, used to tell a story about Abraham Lincoln um, before uh, slavery was was outlawed, said uh, that, that Abe Lincoln would go, went down to the slave market one day and, and found this young uh, black girl who was uh, on the slave market. So he went ahead and he bid on her and purchased her. And she's thinking, here's another man that's just going to abuse me. He's going to, um, you know, maybe beat me. He's going to uh, maybe sell me again in a couple of months, separating me from those whom, whom I might love and, and so on. So he gets her off the auction and takes her and he turns to her and says, you're free, you can go wherever you want to. She says, you mean I don't have to come and, and live in the slave's quarters at your house? He goes, no, you're free, you can go anywhere you want to. He says, I don't have to endure your abuse and, and you telling me every little thing that I can and cannot do. He says, no, you're free, you can do whatever you want to. She said, well, since I've been made free, I'm going to follow you. Jesus has made us free. And his sacrifice has the, the reality that it was done once, done willingly. It has set us free. And it is perfect. And now, and now we can go following him because he has set us free. Let's pray.